Welcome to the show. Before we get into it, I do want to talk to you very quickly about Black Rifle Coffee. They are America's coffee, the freshest cup of coffee you're going to get. If you're buying off the shelf at your local grocery store, you're missing out. You're getting stale, nasty coffee. Order from BlackRifleCoffee.com. They don't ship or they don't roast the coffee until they receive an order for it. And then they have a monthly subscription where you never have to think about uh, buying coffee again. And guess what? That is also COVID-friendly because you're not going to the grocery store for coffee. It just shows up at your door every month, every other month, whatever you want to do. However many bags you want. They've got ground. They've got pre uh, whole bean. Uh, they've got different roasts from light to medium to dark. They've literally got everything for every American. And again, it is the freshest cup of coffee. So check them out, www.blackriflecoffee.com. They are not a sponsor yet, but I, they're doing... a great stuff for veterans, law enforcement, first responders, and they're using a great product to do it as well. So check them out, www.blackriflecoffee.com. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to episode eight of the Point B podcast. This is your Friday debrief. We had a busy week in the news cycle. We had the Senate race in Georgia was called, then uncalled. And I I just saw a news article right now, actually, maybe 30 minutes ago, just came in that they've actually rescinded the call in Georgia that Biden did not win. So there's still some more drama to be had there. We'll get into that. Um, What does law and order look like in a Democrat, Washington, D.C.? We'll talk about that. How are colleges... um, really training our kids to hate our country. We've got a story coming out of Harvard where Trump officials are banned from teaching, speaking, or interacting on the college campus. That's a fun one. Um, We're going to talk about the idea of how this election turned from absolutely zero fraud into, well, there's no widespread fraud. That's a lot of fun. Uh, And I do want to talk about a, a little bit about this idea of how COVID has presented us with this truth nugget of, well, maybe it is advantageous to have one family member, one parent working, one parent staying at home. Um, I'll go into some some of my personal experiences that with that, and then I share just some positive takeaways for you this week, leading into Thanksgiving week. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to this hectic Friday of a hectic week. Uh, I was able to get you that midweek update on Wednesday. That was great, and uh, I hope that you appreciated that. Today's episode, I've got so many notes. I'm just scrolling through notes after note after note, so I'm going to do my best to keep this short. Um, First, what I'd like to get into is the rundown of of the current state of the Senate runoff in Georgia. So if you don't know... um, there are two seats in Georgia that are being recounted, and there's a runoff there, and those two Senate seats have a lot of potential to flip the, the balance of power in this country. Why? Well, basically, um, Republicans need to keep a solid majority in the Senate, meaning there cannot be a tie. If there is a tie, what happens there is the vice president essentially becomes the tiebreaker. So right now with a lead in the Senate, the Republicans hold that that check of power on the executive branch. Let's say that the Republicans lose one of the seats and it goes from a 51-49 to a 50-50 balance. 
then Vice President Kamala Harris becomes the tiebreaker, essentially giving the Democrats control of the Senate. And that's huge. That is very huge. Just uh, for the sake of keeping a check on the ability of the executive branch, Joe Biden, to just start passing laws and executive orders. And so it's extremely important. So what's going down in, in Georgia is uh, they're, they're going to be doing hand recounts. So I don't know if you noticed this year, depending on what state you're in, Texas was one of them. Georgia was another one. This is the first year that th- when you voted on these electronic machines, it actually, before you start clicking on the screen, you actually put in a blank ballot, just a, a thick piece of white paper. And it was a long, it was a Walgreens receipt, basically. And then when you were done voting, it printed your actual selections on this piece of paper for you to review again. Not many people knew they had to review that because there was actually evidence of these votes getting flipped. And so what what you selected on the screen was actually not what printed on your paper ballot. And then that paper ballot was deposited into another machine. And so they're using those paper ballots to do a recount and verifying that the, the results of that the computers received matches what the paper ballots received. And while there were some cases of those ballots being wrong, I believe the majority um, of it, pretty much everybody is conceding that Georgia is going to go for Biden. Um, so the good news is the in-person voting was very accurate. Those computers with paper ballots, they worked the way they were supposed to. That's great. That is actually the Dominion system that everybody's talking about. So in this specific case of the Dominion election system, it worked. That being said, the issue is not with in-person voting. The problem was with absentee ballots and not just not really absentee ballots, but mail-in ballots. Because those ballots are what flipped the tide. In many of these states, maybe you were, maybe you weren't watching, but in many of these states, Trump held a very significant margin of victory in states like uh, Arizona was one of them. And I believe Michigan, Pennsylvania was a big one, and Georgia. And in those states, they had a very, very heavy mail-in ballot population, which flipped the states from red to blue within uh, in those days where they were counted after the actual November 3rd election day. And so people predicted that probably would happen. Um, but what we're seeing now is a a statistical improbability and just the sheer number of votes and percentage wise, how skewed those ballots were for Biden. And that's causing a lot of concern. Of course, you're seeing in the news, all these um, videos and things of people saying that there, there are boxes of ballots. The most notable for me that I'm seeing is these um, people who are like, we talked about last episode, maybe even the episode before that people who are swearing under threat of perjury, that uh, there were, in one case, boxes of uncreased ballots. So these were not mail-in ballots. These are fresh, uncreased ballots with very uniform ink marks for the, who which candidate was selected, leading many to believe that it was printed that way, that this is not grandma whoever filling in her ballot and then mailing it in. This was the mass printing. And then there's also people who are swearing under under threat of... I guess imprisonment. I don't know. Um, we talked about it last episode, but they are sworn affidavits saying that they witnessed these flaws, these imperfections, or um, 
fraud happening. And so, I, you know, I can't say if I necessarily believe them 100%. I don't think anybody should believe them 100%. But nevertheless, these are American citizens coming forward and staking their livelihoods and staking jail time and swearing to the courts that they are witnessing fraud. And so it should be looked into, I believe. But what's more important than who actually wins after these recounts are done, what's more important is that we have an election system with integrity that we can trust in. And there's a large portion of the country that does not trust this election, the results of this election, just because there are so many inconsistencies just from the amount of really, I mean, we'll get into it in a second, but the amount of fraud that they are acknowledging occurred is far less than previous years. How's that possible? Uh, We're going to touch base on that in more detail in just a second. But in the end, you know, we'll see what happens. Republicans need to win both of both of those seats in Georgia to keep from a tie happening. If they lose one of those seats, we're looking at a very different America. If you believe the agenda of Biden and Kamala and the Democrat Party, what they say they will do, whether you like it or not, it is going to be a drastic change in the landscape of politics, economy, social structures in, in our country. Um, I believe that that will be um, kind of a fulfillment of even the Obama era um, policies and things like that. Something very troubling for me that I have seen is just the idea of law and order as it exists in the Democrat Party. And I think it's important to acknowledge that even in my own family, I believe there are Democrats who are voting based on historical Democrat principles and beliefs that were not so divisive. They were not so far from where Republicans or conservatives might be. So they're voting based off historical standpoints, not necessarily what present-day leaders in the Democrat Party believe and policies they would want to enact. Um, Also equally troubling, there was a very strong sentiment that nobody really voted for Joe Biden. Most Democrats voted against Donald Trump. That is scary as well, um, because it attests to the fact that nope, Biden could. It's almost like um, you know, if, if you're just hoping for the best, you just throw crap up against the wall and, and see what sticks. If Biden and Kamala do take the White House, I think it confirms in the far left mentality that they can throw more and more crap up against the wall because more and more will stick because people are just voting on past election data. Now that will flip as the older generation moves on and the millennial generation comes into power, which we're already seeing in younger politicians taking office. And that is encouraging for me as a conservative, as a Christian, because I am seeing younger, more vibrant, energetic conservative men and women, even minorities that are coming into political office, taken over the house. Um, Republicans seized a very large majority of the minority vote. In fact, the majority of the white vote, the white male vote went to the Democrats. And so that to me is encouraging because it means the message is working as far as this Republican umbrella, what Reagan talked about an umbrella for all Americans 
really is all-encompassing if you if you believe in certain principles of self-reliance, individuality, and small government. But you see the contrast to that on the Democrat side. And again, um, a lot of Democrats are voting on a historical Democrat party, not necessarily as the Democrat party exists today, whether it's abortion or defunding the police or taxes or environmentalism or just government overreach into our everyday lives. It's a very different party. And an example of that, a personal example, um, a family member of mine did before the election months ago, um, when we were still talking, <laughs> came out in, in on one of my posts, I was talking about how this defund the police movement is so toxic and against everything our country believes in. Um, this Democrat voter of my, of my, my family did come out and say, I do not support defunding the police. So then in my mind, I'm like, so with this defund the police movement, especially in San Antonio, Texas, which is the area that I'm from, that doesn't sit well with just the general people. The general population rejected defund the police. Uh, Austin here in Texas did uh, cut budgets to the police departments. And then Governor Abbott sent in federal police uh, groups or whatever you want to call them to help with the rising crime rates. Dallas, I believe, is also seeing a rise in crime. So how do you equate a rejection of defunding the police to a voting in of the Democrat Party who says, well, if if they don't say that they disagree with defunding the police, they just don't say anything because they don't want to piss off that far left radical voter base. And already the BLM movement is saying, look, we helped you win this election. Now you need to cater to our demands. One of them, of course, being defunding the police. Black Lives Matter is also very much in favor of abortion rights. And they're also very much in favor of, I mean, they all, they all but say it on their on their website, but they do call it the the what's the word like the not destructuring the maybe the restructuring of the nuclear family um, being you know a father and a mother maybe one of them stays home like we talked about and then kids go to school and grow up and all those things they are against that they want to restructure the family structure to more of a community led. Um, rearing of children, you know, it takes a village, which ultimately would give the public school system much more say and control over the everyday lives of children versus the way it historically has been is the parent is in control, sends the student to school to learn. And if the parent doesn't like what the kid is being taught, they can protest, they can say things at council meetings, things like that. But what we're seeing already and what they're trying to further is the, 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 the power of the teacher and the school system and dictating the, just the everyday life of children, even after they go home, especially now when a lot of kids are still at home and they're learning um, remotely. There's a lot of muscle being flexed by the public school system, and it's getting, getting a little hairy. Speaking of a uh, public school system, our colleges and universities are... I mean, I don't think anybody really denies this, but they are a cesspool of left wing. Oh, activism. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, even evangelism, really, almost to leftist causes. And we're seeing a very troubling um, 
trend coming out of these colleges, specifically Harvard. There's a New York Post article that came out. There is a petition there to ban Trump voters, Trump supporters from teaching, from holding positions of leadership within the college. They want to ban Trump officials from the college. One of them being um, Kaylee McEnany, the press secretary for the Trump team. She's a graduate of Harvard. And uh, she actually came out and had some words to say about this, where there's a petition from students to ban Trump officials. And it's, it's scary to think that a, an institution of supposed air quotes, higher learning um, is in favor of banning voices out there just because they, they disagree and they're seizing on this trend from the far left of keeping lists of Trump supporters and Trump officials and people from within the Trump team keeping them and ostracizing them from society. It's, it's, it's very scary. Take a listen. I want to talk about your alma mater, Harvard. As you may know, a petition is circulating there which would ban Trump administration officials from teaching, speaking, or even setting foot back in the university. That would include you, Kaylee. You went to Harvard Law. Are you going to go back and challenge them? Uh, and by the way, this is Fox Business from, uh, I believe, yesterday. Maybe the day before. Um, but this is Kaylee McEnany on Fox Business. Here's her response to the idea of Harvard banning Trump officials from speaking or teaching at Harvard. Yeah, absolutely. Look, this is, I hope the administration stands firm against this sort of call from censorship among the students. Because when I was there, Stuart, there was this uprising of leftists on, on campus that tried to silence the speech of people from the right and conservative individuals, and the administration actually stood up against them. Uh, they asked for exam, exam exemptions during a time of racial protest, and the administration said, no, you got to show up for your exams. So I hope the administration, the same way they did when I was there, rebukes this movement because censorship should not be tolerated. Our academic communities should be bastions of free speech and the countering and jousting of ideas, not the censorship of a viewpoint that you feel is unpalatable. Will you challenge? I mean, I'd, I'd love to see you walk back into Harvard. Well, yeah, so obviously she would she would challenge that. She does say that, yeah, she would love to go back on campus and challenge that. Of course, on a, on a campus like Harvard, a Kaylee McEnany is not going to be welcome, is not welcome. Uh, conservative speakers, thought leaders are habitually ostracized from institutions of higher learning. And I think that it's it's very obvious we've seen some of the effects of that within the millennial um, population where kids don't have an idea. They don't even know very key portions of, of American history, first of all, where historical uh, historically a liberal well-rounded education included a lot of United States history, not just world history or a critiquing of United States historical policy, but really just seeing, okay, what happened in the past to the point where there's so many kids who just don't know anything. And I'm a result of that as well. I was able to coast through college so easily that I mean, I would have had to try to fail at, well, two years at community college, and then I finished my four-year bachelor's at A&M here in San Antonio. And just the sheer amount of students that I was working with that couldn't spell, could barely read. I mean, we're talking about reading a question in class and having to sound out very, 
I'm talking like middle school level words. And it's like, how does that happen? How is there such a focus on American education saying that we need to catch up with the rest of the world? We need to be spending more money on our education system, paying teachers more, making it easier for kids to access student loans to go to school. And yet they're coming out dumb as rocks. It, it doesn't add up to the, you know that equation. There's an imbalance there of effort to results. So there's a problem. And I think part of the problem is this idea of censorship, that certain thoughts, certain ideas or ideologies need to be ostracized from higher learning. And so the solution is, is very, very basic. You know, if there's a restaurant in town and it's the only restaurant in town and the food sucks ass and everybody keeps going there, well, the food's going to continue to suck. That's, that's just, that's how it goes. But if somebody comes into town, opens up another restaurant to compete and the food's better, or maybe it's cheaper, or there's a friendlier wait staff, or there's a higher um, emphasis put on customer service. The market will will set these inequalities straight. But then what happens is you get government intervention. So now it is so easy for people to get these student loans. I mean, there are people who can't afford to stop going to college. Because they need that student loan check coming in every semester because that's how they pay their freaking bills. And, and never mind the fact that, you know, so many kids get out of school with a degree that they can't use because they didn't actually learn anything. They just got a piece of paper saying, I know stuff. So stop sending our kids to schools where they're going to be taught to hate our country. And guess what? The kids aren't paying for it. The taxpayer is paying for it. The American taxpayer that went to school or didn't go to school, learned to trade, has a job, and is paying their taxes, is paying for these kids to go to these institutions and learn to hate our country and our system, to hate a system that funds their learning. We're all paying for that. So your kid got a student loan? Great. I bet it was pretty easy, right? That approval process is, God, it's like butter, man. It is super easy to get that chunk of money in it. And you get approved two weeks. Faster than you can get your tax refund. It's in your account and you are spending money. You're buying that brand new MacBook. You're buying an iPad. Oh, but it's for school, right? It's so easy because you're going to pay for it. The government's going to get that money back. Now, the Bidens of the world and the Bernie Sanders and the Kamala Harris's and the Hillary Clinton's and all those folks, they love talking about student loan forgiveness. But what if, if you're a student and you're going to school at that age, that point in life, what have you done to actually contribute to society? Not much. You've been mostly a taker. Growing up, you have benefited from the society, from the working class, from the taxpayers, which is fine. So why is there this emphasis on making it so easy for students to receive loans and then not have to pay them back at the expense of the American taxpayer? Well, that's because what we're seeing is they are paying for these students to essentially be indoctrinated, to be taught to hate their country. I remember being in an English what 1301 or whatever the hell it was, and we're reading a book about anti-colonialism. And I'm being taught by a teacher. Thank God I had the balls to push back. And she, you know, she did chill out a little bit. But being taught 
to hate your country because of colonialism and all these these things that happened in the past. Yes, there was negative. Yes, there was bad. But not even giving any acknowledgement to the good that has come out of that. It's wrong. And so not only are we now paying for these, essentially in many cases, very worthless pieces of paper, now our kids are going to be jobless during COVID and they're going to be in debt to the federal government. So remind me again, what's the plus? <laughs> what's the plus of, you know, whatever it is, whatever degree these student loans paid for? Uh, it's a, it's a, I, don't, I don't see many in many career fields. There are some that obviously you need to go to college and learn, you know, accounting fields or healthcare fields, um, engineering, there's plenty you can learn, but there's also the Mike Rose of the world, you know, Dirty Jobs, Discovery Channel, Mike Rowe, who's got the MicroWorks Foundation where they give scholarships not to go to public school, but to go to trade school and learn a trade. So I think that's important to look at as well. Moving on, um, in the introduction, I mentioned that it's, uh, it's crazy. It, it's really, isn't it ironic uh, how, it, how quickly the headlines went from there was absolutely zero fraud. This was the cleanest election in American history. No fraud whatsoever. Those headlines pretty quickly turned into, well, there's no widespread fraud. You know, whoa, reel it back. You know, obviously there's some fraud. And I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Why are we accepting any fraud? And I've got a pretty, I, I would like to say it's a pretty good point that I have not seen anybody really address why are Democrats who were expecting a blue wave from this election? They were expecting to flip Senate seats, House seats, of course, take the White House, more local legislative seats. They were expecting to take everything because Donald Trump was just that bad. The orange man is just that evil that the American population in mass was going to reject the Republicans as a whole. Yet when they fell substantially short of a blue wave, I mean, switch a few numbers up here and there um, in you know, smaller counties and there, were, there could have been a red wave very easily. And they're not even curious about why that is. They're not even thinking, well, maybe Trump cheated, right? No, no, Trump wouldn't cheat. I mean, these Democrats have been speaking so highly of Trump's character. There's no way that he would have cheated, right? That doesn't make sense to me. And there's a poll that came out at RasmussenReports.com. It says 47% of Americans believe the election could have been stolen. The Democrats could have cheated. And I'll provide the link to that survey as well. It doesn't say that the Democrats did cheat and that Biden should not be president. There are other portions to the survey that do say that, yes, Biden should have won. But the when such a almost half of the population believes that this election could have been stolen... And yet we're told to just, no, 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 move on, move on, nothing to see here. That doesn't sit right with me. And it doesn't sit right with me because of the point in time that we're in. We're at a point in time where Democrats aren't just talking about what's change America. They are specifically saying, we're going to pack the courts. We're going to end the filibuster. We're going to start using executive powers more. We're going to get back into these climate agreements. We're going to start working with Iran again, taking away the sanctions, get back into the Iran deal. Uh, the Great Reset, 
working with countries all over the world to build back better. Hey, real quick, look up the history of that phrase, build back better. You've got Euro nations talking about it. You've got Canada talking about it. You've got American politicians talking about it using the exact same phrase because what it means is the system is flawed and we need to build it back to where it needs to be and we're going to build it back better. Now, what does better mean? Well, I'll leave that up to you to research. From my perspective, from what I'm seeing, if this election was rigged, this is why you're going to witness Democrats trying to, I won't say rig necessarily, but really affect every aspect of our political system. From elections to how legislation is passed, more importantly, how legislation is disputed, that gets into court packing. They want it all changed. And they know that they've only got one shot at it in the near term. That This is their moment if they don't capitalize on this opportunity that COVID and this election has presented. It's going to be decades before they can actually do it. Can't rig two elections in the same decade and get away with it, right? We'll see. Not saying that this election was definitely rigged. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that there's a lot of components to an equation adding up that make it look like the Democrats aren't interested at looking at election fraud for a reason. And again, if they were expecting a blue wave and they fell so short of it, why is there not even a little bit of curiosity? You can't deny that our country looks nothing. It doesn't even resemble a pre-2008 America. It doesn't even resemble a pre-2000 America. Bush made damn sure of that. 9-11 made sure of that. And Obama made damn sure that he fulfilled his promise to fundamentally transform America. Are you proud of your country yet, Michelle? Got eight years of Obama, and we'll see what happens with Biden. Are you proud of a country that allows strongman leftist hacks like Cuomo, Newsom, Pelosi, Schumer to walk around without a mask, to be caught on video without masks, I mean, Schumer, talking about Georgia. You know, we're going to win Georgia, then we're going to change America. He said that sentence twice. The first time he said it, the camera was coming up behind him, and there was no mask. And then he sees the camera, throws the mask on real quick, and makes sure that that is the shot that all the news media used. Look up that full video. They can demand that we wear masks. Yet we have video and photo evidence of them failing to do the same. You had Newsom, Gavin Newsom in California, having a dinner. Was it 400 a plate or something? Sitting around with people. He tries to claim they're outdoors. <laughs> they're not outdoors. They're surrounded by very nice wood tables and windows. <sighs> All right, so let, calm down. Let's, let's take a look at this. Think about your, your own life, your own family. How often do you forget to wear your mask nowadays? I mean, unless you're just, you live at home. I mean, I'll say personally, there are times I do forget my mask, but that's because I'm working 100% remotely. Except one day a week, I do have to go to the office and I have a mask at my office so I don't forget one. But if you're somebody that is in the public eye, you're constantly supposedly meeting with people, fulfilling your job duties. How do you forget a mask? How do you make that error? Especially if you're one of these out there claiming that, oh, if you don't wear a mask, American citizen, 
millions will die. You forget your mask, really? Well, to be fair, these are the same people that are saying that uh, fossil fuels are going to make the American or the, the human race extinct due to global warming and climate change. Yet at the same time, they're flying their jets everywhere, literally flying jets to meetings about global warming. And they're putting down payments on million, multi-million dollar coastal mansions. I don't think they're very concerned about rising tides, but that's a topic for another day. So I'll, I'll leave that with you to do what you will. Little little nugget there. Bottom line is there are people in power, elected officials, demanding we do one thing and not doing it themselves. That is at, at least troubling for me. At worst, they're just they're throwing out red meat. You know, they're saying you need to do this and if you don't, you're not American. And then we, the American population, fight over it. Sometimes to the death. All the while, they keep their power, they grow their power, they grow their influence, and they grow their wealth. They go to D.C., make, what is it? I don't even know how much they make a year. 250K, 400K? Yet somehow they come out with millions. That's on both sides. That's not a right or left issue. That's is a flaw in what in the power that we've given our federal government. That's our fault. And it's our duty to correct that. Moving on from there. Another topic I want to present to you, another argument. This is going to be a long episode, and I apologize. We're going to probably come up close to the 45 to 1 hour mark. But a lot happened this week. And a lot's going to happen, I believe, heading into Thanksgiving week. And I'm, I'm probably not going to be around to record a Friday podcast for you. I'll try to get you a Wednesday or a Monday. But anyways, there's been a, um, a growing sentiment, and this harkens back to the Black Lives Matter um, idea of deconstructing the nuclear family. And people like that, whether they're feminists or they're just leftists or they're anti-Americans or whatever it is, they're so set against that idea of the husband goes to work a wife stays home and cleans and cooks and rears the children or vice versa. You know, personally, I'm, I'm looking at probably being a stay-at-home father. And my wife is a teacher, and so she will go and teach. And I'm cool with that. That sounds okay. It's never how, how I thought I'd live my life, to be honest with you. But now that we're here, it, it makes sense. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. So why, why this just hatred for the traditional American family. To all those people who to habitually criticize women who want to stay at home to be a home or a family builder, I think COVID-19 demonstrated exactly why it is so not important or necessary, but advantageous at least to have a dedicated parent in the home and not at work. I had that. I had a mother who was always at home. I came home from work. I had a, had a walk about a mile to get from the bus stop to my house out in the hill country. And I'd be walking up the road and I could smell dinner. Um, I, I love to try to guess what it was. But no matter how bad my day was, you know, I wasn't a popular kid or anything like that. So if I'd had a bad day at school or just a bad day in general, 
I came home to a freshly cooked meal, a hug, and a kiss. And that set my life on a very positive forward trajectory. A lot of kids didn't have that. I think that it is extremely advantageous to have a home structure like that. And this extends into COVID in several different ways, but I'm I'm going to approach it from this angle. You know, Republicans and everything, we talk about individualism. You know, being accountable for yourself, growing yourself, being the best version of yourself, and then all of society benefits. But part of individualism, part of being individualistic, being independent, is the confidence that comes from knowing that there are those in your family or those in your friend circle, your support group, who support you unconditionally. And it's a fact that the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, that's when we see many of those people. Sometimes it's the only time we see those people, especially in 2020. So I encourage you, um, be like Napoleon Dynamite. Just listen to your heart. Discuss as a family what the best decision is. I'm not saying that everybody needs to make the decision that I'm going to make. As far as seeing family or not, traveling or not, there are news articles all all over the place leading up to Thanksgiving week saying you shouldn't travel. CDC says don't travel. Whatever your decision is, don't let it be because a rich white guy in D.C. says that's what you should do. Don't avoid your loved ones simply because rich and powerful people say so. Because trust me. They aren't going to let that little pesky thing called not being a hypocrite stop them from seeing their loved ones. Do what is right for you, and then mind your business. Let others do what's right for them. Because for some, this is the last holiday season they'll have with grandma or grandpa or mom or dad. Or that loved one who got sick right during COVID and hasn't been able to see more than one person at a time. Because of hospital restrictions. How about that pregnant mom who contracted COVID right before the birth? Now she's got to be quarantined from her baby until she can recover and have a negative test. There's a lot of benefit of the doubt that we have somehow forgotten to issue to our fellow American. We've got to get that back. We have to get that back because it doesn't, I don't care who's, who's in, in political office, Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, Green Party. I don't, it doesn't matter if we've lost sight of Being able to give each other the benefit of the doubt, we're all going to fail. Because despite what the media and the news outlets tell you, we are in this together and we have to be united on this common cause. We have to say, screw you to the people in power. We're going to do collectively what's best for us. And we're not stupid. The worst thing that the people in power could do is try to force things on us. Because then we have to question, well, why are they forcing it on us? If they're forcing this idea of this election was rigged, well, why? If they're forcing the idea of, no, this was the cleanest election of of all time, even though we didn't do nearly as well as we thought we would, we have to question why. Why not trust the American people with facts and then let us do what's best for us? We don't need the federal government telling us what to do. That's why we have individual states' rights. That's why we have county rights, local law, and local law enforcement. By the way, if you don't know who your sheriff is, you need to know who your sheriff is, especially during these times. 
So I've got a very simple way of looking at when the government says, hey, you have to do this. I like to um, summon the spirit of Clark Griswold from Christmas Vacation and tell them where to shove their mandate. <laughs> because you know what? We all rebelled against our parents. We all had those those teens, preteen years, or maybe you, you waited till you're 17, 18, 19, when you just had to move out, you had to go spend more time with your friends, whatever it was. We all had that sense of rebellion against our parents, and it's important that people have that, that you have that desire to go and test your wings. If your parent came to you right now and tried to tell you, hey, you should quit your job and take this job instead, I think you'd be a better engineer than a uh, accountant or whatever. We would do like Clark Griswold and, and tell them where to shove it. You might listen, heed their advice, or at least take in their advice and, and consider it for yourself. If you've got a good relationship with your parents, then you know, like me, my dad comes and says, hey, I think you should do this. I listen to it. Many times I do follow it. Other times I'll say, I, I, I like where you're coming from, but here's why I won't do it. So I give him that respect. But in the end, I do what I think is right for me and my family. My family and me. Sorry, mom. Don't correct me. Yet when it's a rich white dude from Washington, D.C., I'm unpatriotic because I would dare question their advice. Is that really where we've come to as an American society? I reject that. I reject the idea that because somebody in power who believes they know better than I do, that I have to listen to their advice. I don't. I can listen, and then I can say no as a free American. If you feel alone in the struggle of COVID, the election, how do we change the world? You know, If you feel alone in this idea that, man, things could be better, things were better, Things were good, and we've lost our way. If you feel alone in that, that's because you've chosen to be alone. I chose to be alone for so long, but now that I'm looking for, the, for others out there, sometimes it's just a meme account on Instagram. And I, I love looking at a meme that has no political slant and then looking through the comments and finding the political arguments. You know, it's a cute puppy video, and of course everybody is saying F Trump, F Biden. But just looking at kind of the arguments going back and forth, I like to observe. We are a lot more united in our principles than you think. And I blame that on, on the media, on the CNNs of the world, and now the Fox News of the world. So reach out to a friend or even a stranger on social media. Find somebody who just says something that, wow, that makes a lot of sense. Reach out to them establish that network and then feed off of that network to find some common ground with each other. And with that in mind, find those, those things that you can unite around and it doesn't have to be politics. In fact, it shouldn't be politics. Politics should be just the, ah, oh, all right, fine. Let's, let's deal with it. It's like taking out the trash. You got to do it, but it's not fun. Find those things that we used to have like, you know, American Idol, or for me, most recently, Game of Thrones, where you can go and talk to people who probably disagree with you on everything political, yet you can nerd out on something as basic as a TV show. There was a news story that just came out, um, well, I think a month ago, at first, Apple TV said that the Peanuts Christmas and Halloween Thanksgiving uh, shows were going to be exclusive to Apple TV, and that on specific days 
of the week, they were going to make it free. So anybody could sign up for Apple TV for free in order to watch those shows. Well, there's a lot of backlash against that. So now it's going to be on PBS and Apple TV. So they struck a deal. So nice. That's, that's cool. But find a show like that, find a, a tradition or a, something you did when you were kids and get back to just that, that feeling of we're all in this together because this divide is recent. You didn't grow up that way. You grew up with friends of all races, colors, beliefs, creeds, family structures, political ideas, whatever. You didn't give a crap when you were a kid. So much like my one of my favorite bands, Disturbed, says, um, somebody taught you how to hate. And it wasn't necessarily a person that you knew. Maybe it was just Hollywood teaching you certain stereotypes about people from the South, how stupid we are. Or it was a politician claiming some moral superiority that they probably didn't even believe in themselves, yet they assigned it to their political party, and now you have to follow it. Because if you don't, well, then you're not a real Democrat, or you're not a real progressive, or you're not a real activist, or a real conservative, or whatever it is. Reject that. That needs to be second to just being a good freaking human being to your friends and to your loved ones and to strangers on the street. I need to get that out. (laughs) So with that, I think we'll wrap this one up. Um, Again, we're heading into Thanksgiving week. We'll see what happens today being Friday. Some more stuff's going to drop this afternoon. Some more stuff's going to drop over the weekend. And then I I anticipate Monday and Tuesday being hectic because everybody's going to try and rush to get stuff done before the, uh, the Thanksgiving break. Keep an eye on all that stuff, but don't lose sight of the importance of this season. Go and see, or at least FaceTime, Skype, talk on the phone, shit, write a letter, I don't care, to people in your social groups, in your family, your friends, people you haven't seen in a long time. You know, I love, I'm, I'm a member on Facebook of several predominantly military groups. I am not former military. I'm not a veteran, but a lot of the veterans, they'll do these, the, the buddy checks and they'll just say, hey bro, how you doing? I haven't heard from you in a little while. You good? Just to make sure that their their friend or their um, coworker or their buddy isn't one of those uh, 22 veterans who commit suicide a day. So I think we need to adopt some of that brotherhood with each other, with just normal friends. Just, hey man, I haven't talked to you in a while. What are you doing? What's up? Do you want to meet for coffee? I got a couple hours free. You know, I got an hour-long lunch break and there's a coffee shop right down the street. Let's spend 15, 20 minutes. Just catch up real quick. I just want to see your face and smile at you. Look for those opportunities just to be a cool dude or a cool girl. Be a friend to somebody. Be a brother and a sister, a father or a son. Look for those opportunities to shed some love on each other, especially this season because we all need it. And when you reject those opportunities, it's a snowball effect and it just gets worse. And we need, if we need to reject anything, it's the bull crap going on in D.C. If we need to embrace it, embrace anything, it's each other. Live in love, and I'll leave you with that. A quick update on the podcast. We are on a bunch more platforms, um, or we're about to be in. Currently, I just got approved for uh, TuneIn. I'm on Apple Podcasts, or about to be. They're still reviewing, but I've never had a problem with them in the past. I'm going to be on Google Podcasts. I'm going to be on Spotify, Amazon Music, Pandora, iHeartRadio. So wherever you listen to podcasts, or even if you just want to click on the link in the uh, on the Facebook page and go to um, to the, the actual podcast website, whatever works for you. If I'm not on a platform that you do use, let me know. I'd love to get on there. Um, and just 
just try to reach as many people as possible. If this message resonates with you, share it with your friends. It's a positive message, I believe. And I think that we, we need some more of that. And so with that, take care, have a good weekend, be safe, depending on what part of the country you're in, enjoy some nice weather. It looks like Texas is going to have some really nice weather. You know, I always say at this time of year, cold air, warm sun. That's perfect for me. Maybe a slightly cool breeze. And that's great. Get outside, go for a walk, go for a run, get your butt back in the gym, whatever. But just in the end, be nice to each other. Turn a stranger into a friend this week. Um, I appreciate you tuning in. This was episode eight of the Point B podcast. Uh, it's your Friday debrief. If you uh, if you want to follow us, follow us on Instagram. Not Instagram, I'm sorry. Uh, Facebook, Point B podcast. Twitter, Point B podcast. And uh, my personal page on Parlor is at B as far as a seven. Hit us up. Check out BlackRifleCoffee.com. Check out their subscription. It's the best cup of coffee you're going to have in a long time. It is America's coffee. So hit them up. Take care. Have a great weekend.